like even though everybody on, on a certain level knows that what people say they do and what they actually do are very different well you know oh it came back in the data <laughs> This is Aaron May. I'm John Henry Forster, and this is Awkward Silence. Silences. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. We are here today with Erica Hall, the founder of Mule Design and the author of Just Enough Research and Conversational Design. We're so excited to have Erica here. We've been liking and retweeting tweets for a while, and it's great to uh, just be talking in person. So welcome, Erica. Thank you. It's very uh, delightful to be talking with you today. Yeah, I'm excited. I feel like uh, you're one of the few people I follow on Twitter that has like an authentic voice about design stuff and isn't either just being <laughs> being loud and angry about something or, um, I don't know, I feel like you have a very uh, unique perspective. So I'm glad to, that we're going to get to chat. Oh, thanks. That's a, that's great to hear. I, I was recently at a, a conference and uh, one of the uh, attendees came up to me and they said, you know, after my talk, like, oh, you're, you're much more diplomatic than you are. <laughs> well, speaking of, speaking of that, um, you have a diplomatic take on surveys. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, I, I don't think that's very diplomatic at all. Uh, yeah. Well, my take on surveys is that uh, they're, the most dangerous and misused of all potential uh, research tools or methods uh, mm -hmm. in the realm of you know, doing things online, you know, digital design, any of that market research, stuff like that. I think surveys are really, really overused and badly used and uh, people should mostly just stop. Great. And why is that? Why are they so dangerous? I am a big believer in... Uh, as many people as possible participating in design research. But surveys are the one thing that I think really, really takes uh, a lot of expertise in order to, to conduct them and interpret them uh, correctly and usefully. But the problem is there are so many survey tools out there. They are so easy to create and run. Uh, and the ease of running a survey is completely out of proportion to the expertise required mm -hmm. to actually do it right. Mm -hmm. That, uh, that it's, it's a really, really popular thing to do and all sorts of really important decisions are being made based on uh, totally bad, flawed evidence sort of the, the handgun, the handguns of research methods, right? They're like <laughs> broadly available, incredibly dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Used by an expert. So yeah. yeah. How did it, how did we get here? Where have surveys always been, um, such a broadly used dangerous weapon or is this more of a recent development? Well, it's, it's, you know, it's one of the things that became much, much easier once you could run them online. Because before every before enough people were online and before enough tools were created to survey people, you had to either call them on the telephone or get in front of them somehow or, you know, contact them uh, in the mail. And so reaching a large number of people was time consuming 
and expensive. And so I think this made people think about mm-hmm. it a lot more. But mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, on the internet, you could send out a survey to hundreds or, or thousands of people almost instantly. It also just seems like there's a part of the human brain that finds larger sample sizes like irresistible, right? Like you see the opposite with qualitative research. People are like, is five really enough? And you have that whole debate, but like a survey of any type of any quality, if you're like, we have 200 responses, it just like feels legitimate for some reason. Right. Absolutely. Uh, Cause there's just this, you know, there's this bias. There's this, there's a really poor understanding like a lot of people get into this stuff without a a clear idea of uh what they need to know why they need to know that and they're just like oh but we we know something about more people without really thinking uh what a, a particular data point really is or whether or not it's even possible to ask a question and larger numbers just seem better hmm and who's most likely to fall victim to the, you know, irresistible lure of the easy online survey? It, who, what kind of groups, what kind of people and what kind of situations are we talking about, you know, more researchers and product folks or, you know, obviously marketers love their surveys. Who's really yeah. using these a lot from your experience? I'd say, uh, you know, researchers, not as much mm-hmm. because our a trained researcher, you know, when Mm -hmm. and how to conduct a survey. So yeah, it's, it's product managers, it's people in leadership, it's, um, uh, you know, any designer working with somebody like that. It's anybody who feels like they have to, uh, they're going to be on the hook for having to make some sort of, uh, data informed, uh, justification for a decision. And the mm-hmm. more anxiety there is about that, the more likely people are to, to turn to surveys like this. What are, what are some of the things that people get wrong in designing their surveys, right? Because garbage in, garbage out. So the garbage in, yeah. I guess there's two garbage inputs here potentially. Who are you asking questions and what questions are you asking them? So where do right. people get those things wrong? Well, I think the the biggest thing people get wrong is is starting with the, the their objective or their like higher order research question, which is what do we really need to know? Because people get it backwards. People say, "Oh, we're going to run a survey. What should we ask?" And this is the the biggest mistake people make in research. They don't stop and say, "Okay, what do we actually need to learn in order to inform a decision?" They start with the thing they're going to do. They start with, "Oh, we're going to talk to people. What should we?" ask those people, oh, we're going to run a survey. What questions should we ask? Instead of saying, what do we need to know? And what's the best way to find that out? Because if you don't start there, like there are some things that are just impossible to find out using a survey because mm-hmm. uh, you, when you put together your your questions, you've got to know like, like what does it mean to have a, like a representative population. So you have to know like, who do we need to know about? And that has to be really, really well defined. Then you have to think, how do we actually reach those people? Which of those people do we need? Uh, What questions can we ask them that they can actually answer truthfully and accurately? Because I think people uh, often run surveys without asking that question, which is like, 
Okay, is this a question that's possible for people to answer? Like the, the market research survey that is so common and, and so completely impossible to answer is say, how likely are you to buy this product <laughs> in the next six months? Right, that, that is a really, really common question. It's impossible to answer. Sure, people will give you an answer, mm-hmm. but no one, no one thinks about things like that. No one can predict their own behavior in terms of that type of probability. Like, how likely am I to buy a new television? Like, I don't know. Like, what's going to happen? Am I going to move into a different place for some reason where I need a smaller TV or a larger TV? Or uh, is my TV going <laughs> to break? You know, is something else is a totally new, awesome kind of TV going to come out? Like, so there's all these factors, all these things that could happen in people's lives uh, that make it impossible to really predict behavior. And and nobody can really predict their own behavior unless the the answer is like, absolutely not because I don't watch TV. But even then, (laughs) it also feels like when you start with the method and you know, somebody on your team is running a survey, like if I know Aaron's going to be surveying our users soon you almost get a little bit of like the pork barrel effect where like other people on the team are like, Hey, can I throw a question in? And like, then you get this like hodgepodge, like collage type thing that just doesn't make any sense to the end user either. It's like, why are they asking me this question? And then it pivots hard to some other unrelated question. Um, in addition to like, you know, not being the best approach as you just laid out, but it's also like a pretty bad experience for the person who takes the survey at that point. Cause now you're going through like a random set of questions and, um, it doesn't leave you with the best taste in your mouth. Yeah, a survey, a good a good way to think about it is a survey is actually an it's application design. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That's it's not easy it's not easier than that. Like the tools really really hide what you're doing. Like what you're doing is you're you're designing an interactive application, a piece of software where you're you need to put it in front of the right users and they need to be able to complete it successfully. Uh and people don't think about it like that. They don't think, oh, I'm engaging in design and I need to already know something about the people I'm serving in order to make questions that are intelligible and that they can answer. Uh, like there's no weight to it, but then people will use the results in order to inform really, really important decisions, like I said. And there's nothing about a survey, like you won't ever get errors back about the quality of the survey Mm -hmm. you'll get answers back because people are really great at at the interaction of selecting answers in a survey or even filling things out in a box right people are are really really good at that but you have no way of verifying unless you do completely different other research on the same topics you have no way of knowing just from the results you get back whether you can trust them or not, like whether they're true and valid. Yeah, it feels very silently. You mentioned the example of someone, you know, like, will you buy a TV in six months or whatever? Um, what is the what is the real user question somebody's trying to get answered by asking that question? And more broadly speaking, like, what are the kinds of questions people think they're trying to answer when they're sending out a survey that are not well answered by surveys? Yeah, so the the question asking somebody to predict their own behavior, like the mm-hmm. the reason that uh, you know designers and product teams do research is because uh, they do want to be able to 
predict right. the future to a certain extent, right? There's a great there's a great quote I use all the time from this Wall Street Journal article that um, all business is a bet on human behavior. Because uh, you're making an investment hoping that it pays off because you hope that you're right about what people will do in the future. And so the naive thing to think is, oh, we could just ask people what they will do in the future. And so there are ways of creating a predictive model of behavior about looking at past behavior and then looking at the circumstances and, and like looking at like emerging trends and stuff like that. Uh, so if you want to know like how likely people are to look at a behavior, you look at who has engaged in this behavior in the past and why, but you have to do work. Like this is where the work of research and design comes in, in terms of looking at what's happened and then saying, okay, based on what we know, what do we think is likely and how can, and what do we need to do to make things like more or less likely to happen? And so that's, that's really the question. And you can't, you can't ask somebody that directly, what you can ask about, um, you can ask people like what they've done in the recent past. Mm -hmm. Like you can't ask anything that they can't remember. You can look at historical aggregate data and bring it all together to kind of answer that question to say, Oh, like, how big is the market? Uh, like what drives purchase decisions? There are all these other questions that you can ask, but you need to go about answering them in a much more nuanced way. Well, so that begs the question, right? So surveys have all these problems and they're really ill-suited for many things. What are they good for, if anything? <laughs> well, um, I, I think they're... It, it's important to to break it down in like what like when you say survey, what do you mean by survey? Mm -hmm. uh, and they're good for uh, getting like the kind of like self-reported like the the kind of data it is possible for people to self-report from like large swaths of the population that it would be in, impractical and expensive to to talk to one-on-one -on -one. um so they are good when you want to um understand like uh the say the distribution of attitudes in a population mm -hmm. uh like polling mm -hmm. that sort of thing is mm -hmm. really good but that's incredibly expensive mm -hmm. and, and time consuming to do right. And I think that's what people don't realize right. is like doing surveys right isn't the cheapest method. It's mm -hmm. often much, a much more expensive way of learning. Um, it's great if you, um, if you ask uh, very targeted questions in a specific context at a, of a particular population, right? So this sort of idea of like, oh, we'll just put it out there and we'll see who responds. And then you get like a completely by a sample, right? But if you um, if you ask, say, one question at a particular moment when somebody like uh, goes through a flow or something like that, and, and you ask them something like like evaluative, like, oh, how was that experience? Did you find what you needed? Like right. that could be a fun way to evaluate whether or not that page is working for particular people, and you can track them. Right. And um, it's good for that. It's good. Like they can be good. You can do them casually. And this is where it gets tricky is, yeah, you could, um, 
you could run like a low stakes casual survey to just kind of generate some ideas. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. You could like ask, you could like send something out to your mailing list and say like, Oh, which of these topics are like most pressing concerns for you or something like that. And you would get something back that might be indicative of like, Oh, the people who did care to respond said this. Mm -hmm. So we should explore that further. But the danger is that people take those things as though they are much more Mm -hmm. broadly representative Mm -hmm. um, than they actually are. All right. A quick awkward interruption here. It's fun to talk about user research, but you know, what's really fun is doing user research and we want to help you with that. We want to help you so much that we have created a special place. It's called userinterviews.com slash awkward for you to get your first three participants free. We all know we should be talking to users more. So we went ahead and removed as many barriers as possible. It's going to be easy. It's going to be quick. You're going to love it. So get over there and check it out. And then when you're done with that, go on over to your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review, please. Related, if you are going to do a survey and you don't have, you know, somebody on the team who is an expert on how to do it, are there like rules of thumb or other things to keep in mind so that when you are putting it together, the odds that you like fuck it up are not as high? Yeah, just don't do it. <laughs> All right, perfect. I mean, really, if you don't know what you're doing, just just don't just talk to some people because the most important thing is to be clear about what you need to know in general. It's like, what information are we missing? And this is a great thing to do. It's just get together with your team and say, uh, okay, what? where are the gaps in our knowledge? And have that conversation. Because even just having that conversation is often very, very helpful because you'll find out like, oh, we have this assumption that's completely not founded in reality, mm-hmm. right? And and once you have that that discussion about like, what do we really know and what do we need to know? And then you can say, okay, what's the best way of finding that out? And it's probably not a survey. It's probably maybe talking to some people, maybe looking at research that other people have done. Like maybe if you want very uh, shallow, broad information, like look at stuff that the Pew uh, Center has done. Like they run legitimate surveys about like broad trends with like internet usage and stuff like that. You could look at your analytics, you know, there are all these other things that just having a real like sit down with your team, hour long conversation about what do you need to know? um, What do you already know? You'll probably be able to figure out ways to learn those things really, really quickly. But no one ever just stops to have that conversation because it's like, no, we need to get some quantitative data back to the, the managers. Right. That's that's where this all comes from is this notion that quantitative data is inherently more objective or somehow superior or more informative than qualitative data. And that's often at the heart of it. It's like, if, if our research doesn't fit in a spreadsheet, um, nobody's going to believe it. And so they end up saying, well, you know, you know, 70% of our users said this. And it's like, no, that wasn't really 70% of your users. That was like 70% of the people who replied to that survey for whatever reason. Um, and it, does that number even matter? Like maybe a, like 70 out of a hundred people said that, but it's like, are those hundred people representative? No, but a statistic like that gets repeated and taken as though it's representative. 
So. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Like, as I'm thinking about it now, I actually do think that I kind of know that I'm not a good survey writer, and I managed to get by pretty well with the, just without running surveys. So <laughs> I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, the demand for surveys often comes for completely political mm -hmm. reasons. And also because it is very fast and very cheap to run bad surveys. And a lot of times that happens because there's a fear or a lack of understanding about how to talk to people. Like in some organizations, like people have actually written to me and said, oh, we're not allowed to talk to our customers directly, but we're allowed to survey them. And it's like, those aren't intersubstitutable techniques. I never understand the, the, the dynamic you just described of, you know, we're not allowed to talk to our users, but we can send them a survey. Because if you think about it a little bit further, right, um, and you just go a step, it's like, well, what's going to be more damaging to our user base? Is that I send 1,500 of them a bunch of dumb questions that are maybe hard to answer and confusing, or I talk to four or five of them one-on-one -on -one and build some rapport and like learn a few things and they know that there's humans that work at this company and they maybe, you know, like it just, to me, like the, the scope of the damage in like by quote unquote not talking to them is like you're still communicating to them and it seems like much higher risk to me. Yeah, there's a lot of terror about just talking to people. And that's a lot of what my work with, with clients is, is um, helping them under, like helping them understand that it's not terrifying to talk to people and that you will learn <laughs> things and how to use what you learn. But a lot of it really does come down to this fear. And sometimes the fear is, um, uh, especially in an organization where, uh, the, like the sales relationships mm -hmm. are very high touch, right. And the people who own those relationships are so scared of just letting, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm a salesperson or I'm a customer relationship manager or whatever. And I've, I've cultivated this relationship that is directly connected to, uh, right. my compensation. And I'm just going to let some yahoo from the design team like talk to this person without me there like there's this this fear of like losing control over something like that so yeah so it it seems riskier clearly to a lot of organizations to send people you know their workers <laughs> these <laughs> mere workers out to to talk to their customers yeah. that seems riskier than surveys um i know you're all about making research accessible to more people, just enough research, right? Um, there is a certain baseline of comfort that needs to, to be there, right? On the part of the person talking to users. Um, what is that baseline? How do you, you know, get people, what do you need to know to be at a place where um, yourself and your organization can sort of be sufficiently comfortable that you've de-risked talking to customers enough that it's a better option, you know, than sending out a survey. It, uh, you, you need to be clear about how you as an organization make decisions. Uh, so you need to have good communication in the organization first. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is often like, it, it takes a lot of uncomfortable conversations to get comfortable. And the first uncomfortable conversations you should have are inside your own organization. And they don't take a lot of time and they don't take a lot of money, right? Those are both total research smoke screens because you can learn really useful things very quickly and very cheaply. Uh, but there's so much terror of having those sort of candid conversations 
like I was saying, like, what do we know? What do we need to know? How are we making these decisions? Like the first question to ask inside your organization is like, what are our goals? Does everybody working towards those goals have the same idea of what those goals are? What decisions are we making? And you go back to the, that quote about placing bets. It's like, where are we placing bets? You know, what resources, whose time and money are we investing in these decisions? Um, and, and on what basis are we going to do that? And if you start digging into that, the reason there's so much terror is you find out that so many investments and decisions in business are made based on so-called gut feelings of the people with the most power and influence in an organization. Right. And once you start poking at that, it gets really uncomfortable really fast. Yeah. We all, and we all gravitate towards the quantitative data, right? Of, you know, a thousand mm -hmm. people told us this and 70% of them, you know, picked answer A or whatever. But there's actually like, there is, you know, studies and there is information that it's not the most effective when it comes to like inspiring behavior or getting people um, to change their actions, right? Like the example that always comes up is the commercials where you throw out a bunch of statistics versus, you know, about uh, childhood yeah. hunger or something and you don't get a lot of donations. But then you tell one really compelling story about a child who is suffering from those situations and you see people donate at a much higher frequency. So like mm -hmm. within your organization, if you are trying to create change and get people to buy in on stuff, the storytelling is actually probably going to be more effective in the long run. Oh, absolutely. Everybody, especially any anybody who's any any sort of managerial role, they say that they make decisions based on data. They say that they make logical decisions, but they actually make decisions based on emotion and based on stories. Like people run on stories. Like we are terrible at statistical analysis. Like it takes so much training. And even like when I was you know, so I'm working on this revision to just enough research where I'm adding in a chapter on surveys that I totally didn't have in the first version because my sense was, no, don't even. Like, if you don't, if you're not a trained uh, researcher and you know what you're doing, don't even come near surveys. And then after talking to people over the last few years, I thought, okay, so I have to at least put in a chapter about how to do it right um, to kind of scare people <laughs> off. Um, because after doing the, you know, the research to write this, this chapter, I'm even more convinced that people just need to stay away from surveying. Right. You, you need like a survey to decide if you should do the survey and it's really long. <laughs> Lots of, yeah. 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 You, you have to go through this, go through this yeah. test. Um, and, uh, uh, Let's see. What, what was I saying? Oh, the decision makers, surveys. Oh, the emotions. Yeah. Um, so people, so people run on stories and they run on narrative. But there's this, there's this terror, right? There's so much fear in business and design of being called to account for your decisions. And what a lot of managers are looking for is just that sort of CYA mm -hmm. thing. Like I have a friend who um who runs like focus groups just to essentially provide quotes for annual reports for CEOs, right? So there's a lot of theater. There's a lot of like research theater and making it look like we have data. And there's a lot of people like doing uh doing the same thing over and over again to like look busy and look productive and not really stopping to say like what are we all really doing here? And like and and what's what's our shared kind of mission? Um, and, uh, and to, to admit, like, it's very humbling 
to admit, you know, like, I don't know if, if you read Thinking Fast mm-hmm. and Slow, you know, the Daniel Harmon book about how flawed our critical thinking and decision-making is. Like, it's very humbling to accept that, but you have to in order to <laughs> actually make logical data-informed decisions. You have to admit all the biases that we have as people. Like, that's just how our human brains work. Like, we're not computers. Uh, we have all these biases. Once you understand that, then you can use that and you can be more rational and you can make decisions informed on data. But the but that doesn't mean using math because <laughs> we just, we suck at math. Yeah. We, we just do. And so why bother? And it's all because we have this like false impression of what it means to make good decisions. So this is a little bit of a tangent, but when I think surveys, yeah. two things come to mind. So can I just <laughs> bounce them off you really quick and get like a rapid fire? Um, I think a lot of them I get in my inbox are, you know, fill this thing out, take five minutes, be entered to win an iPad. Mm-hmm. Like, so the prize type incentive or the drawing, uh, um, thoughts on that? I mean, I think like incentives are important because incentives do reduce bias, right? Cause if you don't have an incentive, then you'll, the only people who will take the time are the people who love you or hate you. Um, so it's not mm. awful, but like, it's fine to give somebody an extra incentive. Cause like I said, it will kind of reduce bias, but it's like, is that really part of a coherent, um, like sampling strategy? Right. Survey might still be terrible. Yeah. Everything <laughs> could still be terrible, yeah. but, but yeah, at least, you know, well, yeah, yeah. Um, our, our sample is biased towards people who were interested in potentially winning this thing. Cool. And then the other one was probably the most common survey of all, at least the one I see the most is, you know, the, how likely are you to recommend this survey to a friend, the MPS one? Uh, right. Any quick thoughts on yeah. that? I know it's a big topic. <laughs> so NPS was uh, invented by a management consultant as not as a research tool, but as uh, an, like an evaluation technique to give to managers who are bad at math, right? Like the whole reason he invented this tool was uh, because managers aren't good at statistical analysis, which is what you need to do if you do surveys correctly. So he created the whole like drop out the people in the middle and subtract the detractors from the promoters. And he gave, he substituted simple arithmetic for statistical analysis because um, he, I guess, had a low opinion of the math skills of people with MBAs. And uh, the issue with that is that in the case uh, for which he devised that tool, uh, uh, you know, it, it was like enterprise car rentals and in that time period, it was not a terrible thing. But because the math is so easy, uh, it's like everybody's using them for everything and they're using them to substitute for actually doing research. Um, and not really thinking about the context. And the problem is, and he came out, um, um, oh God, what's that dude's name? Fred, Fred Reichelt, um, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh, he's come out in the past couple of years to complain about how many NPS <laughs> surveys are run. Because it used to be that, again... Like every, everything's on the internet. So it's a lot easier to insert these things into every interaction, you know, back in 
um, you know, the early 2000s, uh, these things weren't so prolific. And it wasn't the worst idea to, after somebody rented a car, ask this one question. That seemed like a perfectly fine tool to evaluate, like, oh, how well are we doing in meeting our customer expectations? Like, they had, they had this significant interaction with our company that is the sort of interaction we would like more people to have with our company. And, um, and that was a fine thing to, to kind of check in and on measure. But now it's like, I can't, like, you can't do anything. You can't use like a restroom without getting some, <laughs> some right? It's everywhere. Yeah, it's what everywhere. that means is that um, it's absurd, right? Because there's no connection between these very, very minute interactions I have with an organization typically and, and whether or not I'm satisfied or would recommend because you, because there aren't like all of these interactions aren't necessarily things that anybody ever would think of recommending or discuss with their friend. Right. Like if I call my bank um, for some, to, to resolve some issue and they give me this survey, I'm not going to recommend or not recommend my bank based on, that one interaction with that service rep. And in fact, I always right. fill out those surveys with, with the highest scores because I know those phone customer service reps have the most mm -hmm. terrible jobs and that they are evaluated mm -hmm. on that. And I check into hotels sometimes and they'll give me one of those survey forms. And of course I'm going to fill it out and give them highest scores because like they were a nice person. I might hate the hotel. Right. I might have had a horrible experience, <laughs> but I'm not going to be personally responsible for that person losing their job. And so there's so much bias in them now and they're not being used intentionally right. or conscientiously. It's just, it's this weird trendy thing that everybody does. Um, and it's created like, cause one of the other really important things about, about surveying people is you've got to understand the, your, the person you're surveying, like their general context and like how many surveys are mm -hmm. coming at them like even uh, like like pew has been writing some great stuff about how much harder it is to survey people because it's so much to get to the people they need to get to in the the, me the methods they use because there's just this onslaught of being constantly asked for feedback and so in that environment it makes it even less likely that you will learn anything yeah my low-key silent protest against MPS is I always just respond with an eight because I think it's a good score and it just gets counted for nothing. It's like, well, show I think it's stupid. And I'm going to put an eight down forever. Does the NPS improve? Someone must have asked this question, but I don't think I've seen this in all the NPS literature. So many hot takes. Um, does it improve if you say, have you recommended us to a friend, right? The old, like ask about past behavior versus future behavior. And if so, when would you even mm. like, that's the hard part, right? When do you ask that? Yeah. Yeah. That's a much better uh, question, but that's right. a different question because then it's not, then that's actual research. Right. It's not really MPS you want, because that's <laughs> a good thing to know because what that will tell you is, um, like, do people ever recommend you? <laughs> you know, is that a sort of interaction that people have? And it's not awful, but it's like, yeah, but it's like, when, when would you ask that of a person? Like, you could only ask that of people you knew were current. Well, I guess you could ask it of people who weren't necessarily current customers, because plenty of people recommend things that they don't 
necessarily purchase or use because you might say like oh you know i'm i'm not a person who needs this but like i have another friend who mentioned that they had a good experience so yeah i'd Mm -hmm. recommend it um but it's like why are you asking that question like what do you actually want to know that makes me think of uh sometimes i'll send a link to aaron for like an article like hey check this out and she's like oh is it good and i'm like oh i haven't read it it's just like i'm just like recommending stuff like (laughs) straight to archive (laughs) (laughs) yeah People do that all the time. And the thing, the difference between a survey and, um, and asking somebody that question in person is when you ask the question in person, you can tell, uh, like, oh, are they making it up? Did they understand the question? Uh, you can follow up. You can ask for more information. But you can't do that with a survey. Like you do not understand the context around the person. You don't know if they are who they say they are. You don't know if it's a dog answering your survey. You don't know if it's actually a customer. You don't know if they understood the question. Because one of the things, like if you're creating a survey, one of the things you need to do is you need to usability test the questions to make sure that the order of questions, the type of questions, um, you know, the format, whether they're open-ended, whether they're scalar, you need to make sure that that actually works. But whoever like sits down and actually uh, tests a survey before running it, no, they just run it and they're like, ah. Oh. Some of the questions from the survey in your Medium article about surveys are so hilarious. And I'm sure they're, I think they're all real world examples or very similar, but you know, how many, how many clicks yeah. did it take you to get where you wanted? And um, maybe my favorite, please rate the balance of graphics and text on this site. <laughs> It's absurd. Yeah. And one of my favorites and one that I'm actually, I I took, I'm putting a screenshot in the new chapter in the book is like, I I got an MPS uh, survey from Ticketmaster, right? Who would recommend Ticketmaster? (laughs) (laughs) I love the feed. Huge. But it's like, I'm not going to recommend Ticketmaster to a friend like ever. Are you kidding? Like, hey. Why don't you pay $40 <laughs> on top of the already expensive like ticket to that show? Um, but I'm still going to like use Ticketmaster 100% of the time because they're my right. only option. Um, and then, and then the question is like, when you have an, another good question to ask when you're using any research method, including surveys is uh, how are we going to use this to make decisions? If everybody checks an eight, like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do if you're like, oh, it came back and, you know, it turns out everybody checked an eight. That doesn't guide. That doesn't tell you how to change what you're doing at all. You still have to do research. So it's just like this, um, this sort of, uh, uh, what do you call it? An an operating management tool, right? Um, It's, yeah, it's like treading water. Like it feels like you're doing stuff and you're burning energy, but you're not really like moving forward. Yeah. And the, like the scale isn't magical. Yeah. And I, yeah, I could I could also go off on like liquid scales forever because I really like that guy is a really really smart guy, right? The who came up with the um the scale from strongly agree to strongly mm-hmm. disagree. Um mm-hmm. a very smart and fascinating individual. And it's like the same thing where he came up with a tool for a very particular purpose, which was understanding the, dis- the distribution of attitudes within a population. And it's been completely misused. And especially in marketing, 
there's a conflation of attitudes with behavior, right? Just because somebody reports that they strongly agree with a statement, does that mean that they're going to take a particular mm-hmm. action? Mm-hmm. No, no. <laughs> but everybody treats it like, oh, everybody strongly disagrees. And they make these huge leaps without really asking um, uh, about what they, whether that's really indicative. And people just, just constantly, like, even though everybody on at a certain level knows that um, uh, uh, that what people say they do and what they actually do are very different. Well, you know, oh, it came back in the data. <laughs> oh. And this is all because people are just terrified of each other. <laughs> Coworkers or humans in general. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah, humans in general yeah. are super, terrible. like fear mm-hmm. is the mind killer. That's yeah. so true. But um, if, if you're not going to, like, there's a, a great quote from Susan Farrell of the um, Nielsen Norman. Is it Norman? Nielsen, Nielsen, Nielsen Norman, Nielsen I Norman. think. Um, Nielsen Norman, yeah. Susan Farrell of NNG said, if you're not going to act on the data, don't ask that question. Right, right. Seems like a That's been question. helpful for me. I mean, I'm, you know, been asking, we were talking um, with... Um, Noam from uh, Wealthfront the other day, and you know he's talking about the five whys and kids and other why 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 you know like, I can relate, um, but it's been useful for me personally. <laughs> to, you know, like it's just good to know. I just want to know. Can waste a lot of time. <laughs> um, and it and yeah, yeah yeah. I think the um, the thing that John Cutler shared with us a while ago of you know, if there was one data point or one thing you could know about your users and you, you know, and how much would you pay to get that answer? Like just focus yeah. on learning that, like figure out, like yeah. we'd pay a hundred thousand dollars to know X and like, just go find a way to learn X. You don't need all of the other, you know, data points. Exactly. And it's prioritizing is so important. Uh, but I've, I've talked to people in really well resourced research departments in like large technology companies who are just given like, budgets and like the vaguest topics and it never connects to like business priorities or what people actually really need to know because again it goes back to making some having some hard internal discussions that you could actually have really really quickly but everybody is actually mm-hmm. terrified of other people <laughs> well that's been a common theme of our podcast <laughs> um, yeah yeah uh, but it, i don't know I, i'm hopeful i feel like uh, this whole industry is making some strides in the right direction. Try to get people talking to each other a little bit more. I, I think so. I think so. It really is. It's, it's a matter of like, it's, it's yeah. chipping away because there is no right. magic mm-hmm. because it's people, right? There's no magic formula to get people to do things because it's all about changing habits and changing behavior. And that's really hard. And I think acknowledging that it's hard that's difficult is the first step. If you say these conversations are hard, prioritizing what you need to know is a really hard discussion and not just glossing Mm -hmm. over it and saying like, Oh, these things should be Mm -hmm. easy. They're not. And so once you have sort of permission to feel that pain, I think, I think that that's really the first step. Agreed. Uh, All life is suffering. Never do do service. (laughs) And see. Thanks for listening to Awkward Silences, brought to you by User Interviews. Theme music by Fragile Gang. Editing and sound production by Carrie Boyd.